with the rise to meet in person. Public comments will be available on each agenda item. Each speaker will be allowed two minutes to speak. Comments or opportunity to speak during the public comment period are available by calling 415-655-0001, access code 24880684992, then pound and then pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussion, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or radio. Alternatively, you may submit your public comment via email to ocoh.con at sfgov.org, and it will be forwarded to the committee and will be included as part of the official files. Please note that this meeting is being recorded and will be available at sfgovtv.org. At this point, I'll move into roll call. Member Catalano? Here, good morning. Morning. Member Cunningham Denning? Absent. Vice Chair D'Antonio? Here. Member Friedenbach? Here. Officer Ledbetter? Absent. Member Reggio? Here. Chair Williams? Absent. At this time, you do not have quorum, but we can move forward with the items that will not need a vote. Great. Um, I guess, uh, Jesse, do you think you can possibly read the acknowledgement? Absolutely. Me? Great. Thank you so much. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushalone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushalone have never ceded lost nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushal community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Great, thank you, Jessica. So, yeah, so I guess we'll go to item number three then. Yes, great. Um, so, I'm very pleased to be reporting on the RCDR Home Fund, the first annual report um, that's about to be published. It's a really exciting day um, because so much work has gone into this report. Um, it just reflects so much. Uh, Yes, many hours of work, collaboration across departments. Um, so I want to be sure to thank all the technical data teams at MOCD and HSH and DPH. I know Sarah Locher and Michelle Wong are on this call. Thank you. Um, but to everyone who participated in those technical team meetings, as well as the program experts and the finance experts, and then the leadership in those departments, um, the RCDR Home Data Working Group was a really important part of developing the data points and working through sort of initial ideas of what this report would look like and what would be included there. So uh, I wanna recognize uh, their leadership here. You're, we're gonna um, walk you through what is a very impressive document. This is a comprehensive and detailed report um, the controller's office, I think we talked about it at the last meeting, used best practices 
for accessibility and transparency that were in the design of the dashboards that you're about to see. Uh, we learned a lot through COVID um, and have applied those lessons here. I uh, want to thank Laura Marshall for project managing this for the controller's office and Jeff Pomerinke and Raina McKinnon for your analytical work and expertise, on the, especially on those Power BI uh, dashboards. Um, if you read the ordinance, uh, you'll see that the controller's office is required to provide an annual report to the Board of Supervisors, Board of Supervisors that documents the fund revenue and the expenditures and the implementation of the fund. It needs to be completed, I think, mid-February each year. So uh, here we are ahead of schedule. Uh, so we've produced this website uh, or collection of websites um, that you know, provide an executive summary and then detailed information uh, about the four fund service areas. Uh, and, and talks about spending, capacity added, utilization, uh, so how many households or people were served, uh, and demographics, um, as well as outcomes, positive outcomes from these programs. Uh, so there's really a lot of information. I'm very excited about this. Um, the report is going to be published later today. Um, here's the link, but we'll, we'll send that out again. And I'm Pleased, I'm so delighted uh, to introduce Raina McKinnon. She's here today to present an overview of this uh, really incredible project. So with that, I'm going to stop talking and pass it to Raina. Awesome. Thank you, Jesse. Um, thanks everyone for having me. So um, I'll get started by talking about um, the budget and expenditures for the OCO fund in the first two years. Um, so the city spent $209.2 million of OCO funds um, over the two-year period, and the vast majority of funding um, happened in the second year, so in fiscal year 21-22. Um, the funding was initially released in um, fiscal year 20 to 21, and then departments began implementing um, an investment plan in the second year. Um, and on the screen, you can see a screenshot of um, a dashboard from our website um, showing the budget expenditures and encumbrance um, over the two-year period. So the um, orange represents um, at the the orange card at the top represents the um, total two-year budget. Um, so this is the cumulative budget over the two years. Um, the dark blue box represents the um, total spending. Um, over the two years, and then the light blue um, represents the um, year-end encumbrance um, as of June 30th, 2022. And um, this, so the encumbrance represents the the funding that was obligated for a specific purpose by the end of the year, but for, um, for example, like funds that were contracted, um, but had not yet been spent. Um, and then the bar graph below shows um, the, budget expenditures and encumbrance by OCO service area. Um, so I just want to bring your attention to the um, uh, spending in each service area. So $122.8 million was spent on permanent housing. Um, $42.2 million was spent on mental health. $17.1 million was spent on homelessness prevention. 25.8 million was spent on shelter and hygiene services 
and um, about a million was spent on fund administration. Um, Jesse, can you um, go to the next slide? Um, great. So um, here we have information about the capacity that um, was added using OCO funding over the two years. Um, so the city was able to add 2,704 new units or slots of housing, um, shelter, and mental health beds. Um, and each of the circles represents one of the OCO service areas. And below it shows the number of units um, that were added um, in that service area. Um, so starting with permanent housing, um, this includes about 700 new units of site-based permanent supportive housing um, and nearly 1,500 rental subsidies um, in the private market. Um, then mental health capacity includes 131 new treatment beds. And there was also capacity added um, to assertive outreach programs. So the street crisis response team and the street overdose response team um, and also case management programs. Um, but the capacity for those programs um, is based on uh, need in the community. So we don't have a specific number for units added um, of capacity. And it's a similar situation for homelessness prevention programs. Um, so there were grants and services um, offered through homelessness prevention, but they're flexible um, depending on need. So we don't have a specific number there. Um, and then going to um, shelter and hygiene services, um, uh, the OCO Fund supported 280 units of temporary shelter and about 120 spots in crisis intervention programs, um, which include safe sleep and safe parking programs. Um, so a, a significant amount of capacity added um, over the two years. Um, Jesse, can you go to the next slide? Um, and then uh, housing acquisition was one of the highest priorities of the OCO Fund. So we wanted to take some time to focus on that in the report. Um, three quarters of the permanent housing budget um, was designated for housing acquisition, and that's 40% of the total OCO budget. Um, and housing acquisition um, funding can be spent um, towards uh, purchasing existing buildings for housing, um, rehabilitation of existing buildings, or um, financing construction of new housing. And over the two years, the city spent $88.6 million of the OCO fund to acquire four buildings, um, which added 348 units of new um, capacity. And so the pictures on this slide um, are of the four buildings um, that were acquired. And below each of the photos, um, it shows the number of units added um, by the um, population the um, units were designated for. And it also shows the address of um, that building. Thank you. Um, and so next we'll talk about um, the household served um, in OCO funded programs. So the city was able to serve um, over 18,500 households or clients across all um, of the four um, service areas. Um, and um, most programs um, were uh, provided at the household level, but um, mental health programs um, reached uh, clients. And um, I wanted to focus on the homelessness prevention 
surface area. Um, so this uh, almost 9,000 households um, were served in homelessness prevention programs. And this includes um, almost 5,500 households who received eviction prevention and housing stabilization services and 3,500 households um, who received um, targeted prevention and problem solving services. Um, and then um, looking at mental health, um, there were uh, over 6,700 clients served in assertive outreach programs. Um, and um, there were 139 clients served in um, mental health treatment beds um, that received OCO funding and uh, 265 clients served in behavioral and clinical health services and permanent supportive housing. And I'm, I'm sort of giving you all of these numbers that aren't on the slides, but they're all going to be available on the website. Um, we have um, a, a large number of dashboards that sort of go into each of the service areas and show um, the um, households served um, by the different um, types of programs funded by OCO. But so this is just sort of a, an introduction um, to what's available in the report. Um, and we'll, let's go to the next slide. Um, so then we looked at um, the demographics of um, households and clients served um, in OCO programs. And so um, most demographic information was gathered at the head of household level, but we have um, individual client level data for mental health programs. Um, and so we found that um, most head of households or clients identified as white or black or African-American with 25% of all households identifying as white and 20% of all households served identifying as black or African-American. Um, and then when we looked at um, permanent housing, shelter and hygiene and homelessness prevention programs, um, almost a quarter of households identified as Hispanic or Latinx. Um, and mental health um, isn't included here because they collected um, demographic data differently. So it's difficult to combine um, them into this number. Um, and then um, looking at the age distribution of households, um, about 5% of uh, head of households were 18 to 24 years old and um, about 12% were over 65. Um, most households identified their gender as male across all programs. Um, and then uh, most households identified uh, the head of household sexual orientation as straight or heterosexual. However, the um, uh, uh, sexual orientation demographic data was missing for a high number of households. So about a quarter of households in um, most of the service areas and almost all households in mental health programs or clients. Um, and so we have the, these demographics represent um, sort of the whole or like the full um, uh, number of clients or households served across all of the service areas. But on our website, we have um, information broken down by the four service areas. Um, and we also have information about how um, demographic categories were combined um, in the data notes, um, sort of when it was necessary to, to aggregate data. Um, Jesse, can you go to the next slide? Thank you. 
Um, and then we were also able to collect some information about um, outcomes for households. Um, so outcome data was only available for some programs, but um, we've sort of included what we could. Um, and we found that outcomes were generally positive. Um, so looking first at housing programs, um, over 90% of households had a positive outcome. Um, and you know these are outcomes as of um, uh, the time uh, a household um, exited a program or as of the end of our reporting period, June 30th, 2022. Um, and so for, for housing, a positive outcome could include um, a household entering housing, retaining housing, or exiting um, a permanent housing program to another housing setting. Um, then for homelessness prevention, um, where, where data was available, we found that about 85% of households had a positive outcome. Um, and we a positive outcome is when a household retains their housing or finds a safe place to stay outside of the homelessness response system. And then um, lastly, for shelter and hygiene programs, um, about half of households served had a positive outcome. Um, and uh, we included various types of positive outcomes um, in this number. So it could include um, entering shelter from an unsheltered setting, um, staying in shelter, or um, exiting um, shelter to a housing location. Um, so that's all um, I have for today. I think I'll pass it to Jesse to um, give uh, an introduction to the website. Yeah, thank you so much, Rena. Um, and I will, I'm gonna, we're gonna look at this live for a minute. Um, so, uh, great. Um, so I just went, uh, to the actual uh, website that's going to be published. Um, so you can have a little bit of a preview of how this looks. We're not going to be able to go too far in depth, but just show you a little bit more, um, yeah, of, of the kinds of information that you'll be able to find here. Um, and the just so you know, the report is going to be available, accessible on the sf.gov slash OCO page um, on our resources section. Um, and so I'll provide that information to you all in an email once, once the link is, is live and the report is published. <clears throat> so beginning at the executive summary, right? This provides a high level overview of spending, capacity added and outcomes for the fund as a whole, as well as summaries of each OCO service area and some background notes about the revenue, so uh, that includes information like about the revenue shortfall and the reclassification of expenses that happened in fiscal year 21. Uh, much of the information that Raina provided today comes from the executive summary. Um, and so it starts looking at the fund as a whole and then uh, moves into uh, the different fund areas. We've included links to other sort of relevant, um, you know, if people want more information. Uh, one thing that wasn't in the presentation, what Raina just showed you that I, I personally really like, um, so that you have the dashboard with the, the tables, um, and then underneath, uh, you can see that there's uh, also the graph, like a summary table that provides the dollar amounts in full. 
Um, and this is great uh, for those of you who are really detail oriented and uh, because it makes this information uh, accessible to people who are using screen readers or other sort of accessibility devices to look at the, to get the information from the website. Uh, so I think that's really cool. One thing I wanted to add um, about the spending sites or the spending graphs is that it's showing uh, the two-year expenditures or those 18 months of expenditures and the encumbrance, which encumbrance is money that's already formally committed, right? Either because it's in contract or there's been a solicitation for the service, uh, right? There's a formal commitment, but it doesn't show, unfortunately, um, any funding that is um, already committed to a project, like a pipeline project. So if a project is already sort of in the works, um, it's there. There wasn't a way using our financial system to to show that uh, in these charts. So um, anyway, wanted that. I think that's an important piece of context, and that would be available right in the data notes. Um, right. So like here's permanent housing that we just looked at and breaking it out, um, providing that little bit more detail the spotlight on housing um, and the services. And then you can click like here, there's a, there's a way of navigating this site on the right that just helps you navigate the executive summary. But if you wanna go to the page that's specific to learn more about what's happening with permanent housing, you can click this link and it takes you there. It does take a minute for these, uh, for the graphs and charts to load. Um, but here we are on the permanent housing page. Um, and again, once again, to the right here, you have a navigation panel that lets you jump around within this page only. So these links are only gonna take you to different parts of the permanent housing uh, part, section of the report. Um, and I'll show you how you can get to other sections uh, in a moment. Um, so you can see, right, the number of households served, the amount of capacity added, the expenditures. One thing that's cool about the permanent housing charts um, is that because the fund is divided into three pieces, you can look at all households, you can look just at adults, acquisition and operating costs, you can look at families, and you can look at youth, right? And all the tables and graphs uh, update with that new information. Um, and the website as well is is set up to be looked at mobily. So, um, right, they all have this kind of more vertical uh, formatting uh, already there. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of move through a little bit. You can see um, spending, right? And this chart is great because it gets more into those uh, the the line item right, that are familiar to you committee members of, of from, from our budget process and tells you uh, line by line where we're at with spending, with budget, with uh, actual spending, encumbrance. Again, that is money that's already formally committed to a specific purpose. And then the variance is the difference between what was spent and encumbered and the budget. Here you can see how much capacity was added and where, so that all households 
You can look at adults and see all that scattered, that flex pool right here, some rapid rehousing, what was made available, right? What was added for families. Uh, these are the SRO subsidies, the family rental subsidies, uh, the scattered site flex pool for families um, and some site-based and the same for youth. Um, so I really love that feature. There's a lot of text that just provides like all the details and, and important contextual information for understanding what you're seeing, what's included and, and what it means in the, in the chart. Uh, numbers of households served. And again, I just love this. Like you can, you can break it out. I feel like these are the kinds of questions that I've been hearing from the committee uh, for the last, since I started, year and a half. Um, so it's really gratifying to be able to uh, provide this to you today. Um, households served with a positive outcome in permanent housing. Um, and then we get to demographics, right? And you can look at sort of how, by, right? And with the summary table at the bottom. So age, there's gender identity, and then sexual orientation are all included. Um, and then at the very bottom, we have a glossary of all those terms that people that may not be familiar to people. Um, lots. So that's great. I wanted to just show you one more thing, which is going back to this table of contents. So this is the place where all the information is stored. So you can see uh, the executive summary, permanent housing, mental health, homelessness prevention, shelter and hygiene, um, as well as down here, the appendix uh, shows these are uh, Excel tables that can be downloaded. Um, so if it's easier to sort of look at and understand the information in just a normal spreadsheet format, um, you can you can do that too. And then it can take you back to our website. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen and leave some time for committee. Hand it back to uh, Vice Chair D'Antonio. Thank you. Thank you for that presentation. Um, really, really great. Excited to dive more into that. Um, so thank you. I want to open it up to committee members for comments or questions. Should we oh, jump go ahead, in? Ken. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I just, yeah, I just noticed. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Jason, I just, um, first, I want to appreciate the work that's uh, done by yourself, Jesse, and by your colleagues uh, putting this together. I think it's an amazing amount of information. And I think uh, seeing this for the first time, I don't know if other members have seen parts of it, there's a whole lot to digest. So, I can tell you that. Uh, I've done anything but wrap myself around it, but I do have two or three questions coming out the gate. Let me start at least with one, if I may. Uh, and that had to do with the demographics. Uh, and uh, I think I'm looking at my notes, but I think it was 25%. Maybe this was on the housing part, or maybe it was more generally 25% white, 20% black. 25% Latino or Latinx, which uh, of course could uh, overlap with some of those categories. So if you put the black and white together, that's a, I guess I have two things. That's 45%. And I'm wondering, you know, 
the rest of that 55%. So I, I'm, I'm not questioning the data. I'm looking for clarification in that regard. That being one thing and the other is a comment in regard to it. And that has to do with our focus on racial equity. And it seems to me that the, uh, that are uh, uh, among folks experiencing homelessness in San Francisco, if I recall the numbers, it's roughly 40% black, maybe 39% black. And it looks like we're serving 20% black in the demographic section. If that's the case, I think that is telling us something that we are going to want to pay a great deal of attention to because we're saying we're focusing on racial equity and uh, that if anything, we want to overcompensate. And it looks to me like we've got half of our population served by the outcomes. So that being the case, I guess this is sort of a question uh, to clarify uh, whether or not my interpretation of this is correct. And beyond that, it's a comment that if it's correct, then I think it may be a call to us to pay a little more attention than we have and to the departments to pay a little more attention as to how we roll these things out. So maybe the question part, if somebody could address the demographics. Yeah, it's a good question. Raina, I don't know if you wanted to jump in about the data piece, otherwise I can. Um, let's see, so I think um, those, were def those demographics were across the, um, like the, 18,500 um, households or clients served. And I think um, it would be important to look at the demographic distribution and the specific um, service areas, because I think there's really different levels of services that are provided depending on which kind of program we're talking about. So for example, um, like a permanent supportive housing program is like a, it's like providing a high level of services or mental health treatment beds are providing high levels of services, whereas um, like a client engagement um, and a street crisis response program is like a lower level of service. Um, so I think that's something just to think about. Um, and I think we have demographic information by the specific um, service areas available on the website. Um, and so, um, if yeah, and I, I can pull yeah. that up again for permanent housing. I would also add that that includes all the missing data. So there's a pretty big chunk yeah. of data where we don't have any racial right um, information, and then it includes all the programs. And so in that data set, about 11% of the households served identified as Asian, uh, which is really different from the literally homeless population, right? And it speaks to the work that's being done um, for people who are uh, imminently homeless who are sort of in that um, doubled up, right? They're not literally homeless, but they still fit, they fit into that broader OCO definition of homelessness. So I'm not sure that I would use um, that specific piece of information, right? And look more at, uh, like Raina said, who's in each category. Would you, should we look at permanent housing and just see what it looks like? the racial distribution? I think that, the, I don't know, I think it would be of interest, but I also don't want to dominate it with this part of the question. I think it's really a question of flagging for the future as we dig into it more deeply. Does it indicate to us uh, uh, some level of concern and do we need to somehow accelerate our concentration on uh, equity? 
but maybe just a brief highlight of it would be. Yeah, can you see, um, is my screen showing? Yes. Okay, so you can, this is a uh, household served in the permanent housing section, okay. uh, all households served, right? And so, you know, by uh, quite a lot, Yes. Uh, almost double. You can see that households identifying as Black, African American, or African uh, were most served. This, I mean, this distribution looks a lot more like our point in time count, which makes sense because yes, this is, right, the same population. Um, it did make me wonder if we go back to um, the table of contents. I wonder when we look at homelessness prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it's, it's a different picture um, with a stronger representation of households identifying as white, uh, but also this is what I, what I was seeing in the data was this 15, more than 1,500 Asian or Asian American households served. So, and 2,000 multiracial. Yes. Right, exactly. So, and there is a, I think just going back to like your earlier, uh, the way you opened, like there's a lot here. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to making it available to you. Um, so we can do some of that like deep looking uh, that people have been wanting to do. Thank you. Stop sharing my screen. Great, thank you so much, Ken. Um, I'll go on to member Catalano. I think Ken uh, raised the, the question that was most striking to me too, and I'm to have the website up. Um, I appreciate, just wanted to know, I appreciate calling out, it looks like what's called out in the Power BI um, dashboards is where there's missing data. Um, so that's really helpful, obviously, if we're missing a large chunk of racial or ethnicity data, then that informs, that both raises questions, but also informs like what we're seeing. So um, I'll, I don't need to say anything else, I don't think about that, but I'm wondering if there's what opportunity we will have to discuss um, sort of process and outcomes related to the data. Um, that's obviously, we don't have, that's not agendized in this conversation. So what we're seeing in terms of the expenditures and encumbrances, what we're seeing in terms of the outcomes by race and ethnicity and other demographic information, like is there an opportunity for us at our next meeting to discuss that in terms of what this committee can do to make sure that we're on the right track? I'm writing that down as a suggestion for the next meeting. Okay, great. Um, I think member of Freedombach also, you had your hand up. You wanna go next? Uh, thank you. Um, so it might be helpful to a lot, a lot of times what we do when we're reporting on stuff is, is we do the percentage of known, like we don't include the unknown numbers in the percentage because it, it throws it off. It, like it ends up being like, anyway, so that might, that might be a change because I think that's a, um, a little bit more, uh, less misleading, I think. Um, and so that'd be a suggestion. I have a number of other stuff. I want to also appreciate the work um, that was done on this. Super helpful. Um, so a few things. We have a lower number of somewhat significantly households than 
housing units that have come online. So just want to see in terms of expedited placements that we could get those filled as you know, it's freezing outside and people are desperate for a place. So that was, that was one piece. Um, I don't know if we have any information on that, but it was. It's a good point. So we capacity added is sort of the amount made available in the system. And then the utilization number is a different thing about people getting into those. So, yeah. The other thing is the shelter part is a little bit confusing and I understand and appreciate why we did it around new shelter beds because it's like the budget over the last couple of years, but it's misleading because OCO is paying for about a thousand beds. And so about 500 of the beds got added before, um, before the lawsuit was won. And then on basically using general fund dollars, banking on the lawsuit winning, and then the plan, what I guess, which I didn't agree with, but anyway, um, was to then replace that, um, replace those operating dollars that we already had general fund dollars to pay for um, with Prop C money. And so that, uh, that means that it looks like we're spending X amount of money on shelter for 400 beds, but actually we're spending X amount of money on a thousand beds. And so um, I, I think that's an important, you know, right now with kind of the, you know, the what's happening in the public, there, you know, a lot of folks are paying close attention to the numbers and then put out all this stuff that ends up being super misleading um, because they don't have the complete picture. And so I'm worried about that. I'm worried about that same thing with the percentage around race and stuff like that. So I think having, um, uh, um, having that other thing on there um, would be good. I mean, the other, the other, the pre-lawsuit were 500 new beds. They just happened before the two-year period. And so if there's some kind of way to put a note in there or something, that would be really helpful. Um, and then otherwise it's going to be like they're spending, you know, they're going to come up with a number twice as high of what we're spending on average. Anyway, um, and then the other thing is... Um, getting the whole pipeline thing and understanding that, but I'm, I'm, there's, there's still a lot of orange because from the homeless person's perspective, really um, that's the most important piece is when it's accessible. Right. And so the orange is showing basically those are dollars that are not benefiting yet in terms of like people being able to get off the streets or, um, get into treatment or whatever. So that, um, that is, uh, and I know we're kind of halfway through the fiscal year, um, but I think kind of an ongoing frustration, I just want to note around seeing all that orange while we've, and we continue to have, you know, folks suffering. So that's just a, just a noted frustration I want to put out there. Um, in terms of things moving rather slowly. And I think San Francisco is getting at this point kind of notorious for that. Like there was the big piece today in the paper about the building inspections taking so long, um, the permitting process exceeding a year. 
you know, for like, you know, even longer for smaller households and stuff like that. And yeah, so I just, this is something I think we really need. Um, we need to figure out how to kind of cut out some of that bureaucracy and it, 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 it relates to the placement and housing. It, it, it relates to, I mean, I, we want to be careful. We don't want graph and corruption and all that kind of stuff. So we don't want to be like sloppy about it. Like, and I think that's, you know, so there, there should be a happy medium where we're careful, but not quite this slow. So um, I just want to kind of, and I don't know if there's any assistance the control. Yeah, I know the controller's office looks at some of these things sometimes, um, but assistance there uh, in looking at what, what the deal is. Um, and then my other note is, um, the behavioral health piece continue to um, also ends up being a little bit misleading because it's like 132 beds. And then if someone does the math and then they think we're spending and then it's like all these team things. And I just, I'm also kind of frustrated that the number of beds is so low and um, we're a couple years into this and 132 beds is good, but it's not great. And really we should be getting into like, I mean, I feel like we should be at like, you know, 700 plus beds by now. And it seems like a lot of the efforts has been on more of the street outreach stuff and expanding that and energy going there. Um, and that feels like putting the cart before the horse because it's like you really can't be that effective on the streets in doing that work if you don't have placements for people. And so then we're spending money for skirt team, the overwhelming majority of their situations they're just walking away from, which um, is good, like the person didn't get arrested. Um, so that's a positive instead of having the police at the same time. Um, the level of people, level of people with really severe mental illnesses that are kind of just um, that are not being connected to appropriate care um, is pretty is pretty frustrating given the amount of expenditures we're doing on the street end. So I understand why that happens. Like there's not like the appropriate you know, and there's also the, you know, the stuff and in the investments in int intensive case management, which I think is super important. Um, but like, how much can an intensive case manager do with someone who's super delusional and thinks like nuclear bombs are coming and they need to sit outside um, because they're going to be safer there um, because they can run from the nuclear bomb, you know, whatever. This was a conversation I just had with someone yesterday. Um, and so um, like that, that intensive case manager needs to have appropriate placements for that person once they get to the place of really working with them on a daily basis, getting their trust up and being able to have agency and choice for that person where they can choose, you know, like a place that they can go and all that stuff that we need to do to in working with people with, with severe mental illnesses. So I think um, the strategies aren't there if we don't have the, the, the plethora bed. So I just, I just wanted to, sorry, I'm kind of going on a soapbox here, but I just, it's just, it's really, um, I really want to see us, um, and we have a huge orange in behavioral health. So that's, I'm just kind of like, oh my God. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to be done. Yeah. Um, I do, uh, I don't know if there are specific questions in there for, there are uh, members of department, like departments are here, if there are specific questions to be well, uh, just like asked or if it's, 
Yeah, I mean, I was making statements, but I would love any kind of thoughts on like strategies that they're using to move stuff quicker or where, you know, what's what's the plan for the rest of the orange, like um, in terms of are we going to be able to get all the way through that by the end of the fiscal year? Are we going to like how deep into our investment plan are we going to be able to go like just like some kind of update on that, that orange section would be great. And it's, uh, you'll see when we go to the, um, the sort of thinking what's ahead for the committee in 2023, that the six month reporting um, we did last year in February and planning to do that again. So there should be another update on sort of implementation and, and spending uh, that links up to the end of this report. I don't know if anyone from the departments wanted to Yeah, and just, I know the departments are working really hard. I know that this stuff is really tough to get through and like, it's not like people are sitting around, like they're working hard, I wanna acknowledge that, but like maybe there's stuff that can happen that could make, you know, that maybe as OCO we can weigh in on, maybe there's people that could be pulled from other departments to help or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be like, you guys aren't, you know, I know you're all working really hard. So it's just like, what are the, what are the things that need to happen? <laughs> yeah. Jenny, I just want to acknowledge your your comments. I'm Noelle Simmons with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. This is probably a longer conversation that really gets to a lot of the issues that we do spend a lot of time talking about with regards to system capacity, both internal to the department and amongst our contracted providers. Um, Proxy represented a huge infusion of funding to our system, and we have been scaling up at an unprecedented pace. I think what we actually have accomplished in, you know, the 18 year, uh, 18 months, excuse me, covered in this report, it feels like, like 18 years. years. <laughs> it's it actually pretty impressive. And I, I guess I just, I see firsthand every day how fast everybody in the department and in our provider organizations are scrambling. Um, so I just want to acknowledge the capacity issues. I know that I'm not flagging anything new to this group, but um, it's a very real constraint. And I think we're, um, it, it's a long road to sort of build the capacity that we need to be operating as effectively and as quickly as we all want to be. But I also think that what we've accomplished during the term of this report is pretty impressive. And, and I hope we don't lose sight of that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And if I may chime in from DPH's side, I also just wanted to say um, that this reporting is through June 2022. Um, I feel like last fiscal year was laying the groundwork and foundation for a lot more um, of implementation that's going to take place this fiscal year. Um, a lot of contracts being put in place, a lot of staff being hired last year. And so I do really expect to have a more meaningful spend down of funding this year. And I think as Jesse pointed to, we can address some of these issues um, at the six month reporting and see where we really are at a current fiscal year. I expect us to have spent um, more and plan to spend more this fiscal year and we can dive a bit more into that. But just really wanting to remind ourselves that I 
in my perspective, last year was kind of a foundational year of getting a lot of the pieces in place for new programs and establishing kind of um, some of the base work um, to, to further spend and really serve people um, on a higher capacity. Like for example, I just wanna add one for our mental health, our behavioral health beds. The report shows that we had 131 open as of last, as of June. Um, and as of today, we have nearly 250 open, almost double that number. So again, a lot of the groundwork last year has really kind of launched us into um, more significant work this year is just an example. Yeah, so well, that's great. Great, thank you. Um, okay, well, I think we can move on to public comment now. Um, if uh, Mary could open that up for us. Great. Members of the public who wish to write public comment on this item should call 415 655 access code 2488 then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have two minutes. I'm checking the attendee list now for any hand raised. And I see one. Hey, all, it's Kristen Evans. Um, thanks for the information. Um, I I think we, you know, are still very challenged as uh, the story in the Chronicle about the Tenderloin merchants um, reveals today in terms of getting the message out about the work that Propsy is doing for the city of San Francisco. Um, so yeah, I mean, I know that you guys don't necessarily plan to hire a advertising firm and, um, raise up, uh, the work through, um, you know, uh, broad scale community education, but I do think, um, the more that we can make the dashboards like super engaging and, um, uh, uh, basically get the word out the good of the good work that's being done. Um, and the the trajectory of where the money will be spent going forward would be really key. So that's that's all I would say. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you for your comment. Thank you so much. Um, I'm checking the list again, and I do not see any additional comments for this agenda item. Okay, great. Um, so I think we still don't have quorum, right? Am I am I right, Mary? Uh, let me just check quickly. You do not. Okay. Um, it looks like we need votes on item number two and four. So maybe we move on to item number five, looking ahead to 2023. I don't know if, if Jesse, you have some thoughts on that. That's great. I think that's, that's good. And I have been texting with the chair. She should be with us soon, uh, but okay. wanted to provide just an overview of what's what's coming up. Uh, we talked about this a little bit at the um, retreat and wanting to get a better idea of, of what the budget process is gonna look like and different things like that. So uh, we are gonna start, uh, the committee will start the new year with some elections. Um, elections are meant to happen at a regular meeting and we've had a bunch of special meetings lately because um, because of holidays. So here we are. 
so we'll be uh, the committee will be electing officers. Um, it has three officer positions: the chair, the vice chair, and the data officer. Um, committee members may nominate themselves, or they can nominate other another member for any office. Uh, members can also decline a nomination <laughs> if they choose. Um, incumbent officers can nominate themselves or be nominated to serve another term, and there are no limits on the number of terms. And so I want to kind of put a plug in here. Um, you know, if you're if you're thinking uh, this speaks to you. Uh, to reach out. Um, I've described in the master deck uh, what the different roles are. So the chair presides at all meetings of the committee and oversees the preparation and distribution of the agenda. Um, you know, the chair can also be assigned duties by the committee um, and serves as the committee spokesperson uh, to and liaison to the media and city departments, agencies, commissions as necessary. The vice chair uh, performs duty and responsibilities delegated by the chair and in the chair's absence, the vice chair very capably uh, performs the duties of the chair. So thank you today to Vice Chair D'Antonio. Um, and then we have the data officer role, um, which is to advise on the use of data and analysis for strategic decision making, to prioritize, coordinate and track the committee's data requests. Um, to align data requests with strategic planning process for the use of OCO funds, advise on monitoring and tracking additional data, recommend strategies for making data transparent and available to the public, and then other tasks and duties assigned by the chair. So at the January 26th meeting, I'm planning that this will be on the agenda and there will be nominations, then each office will be voted separately beginning with the chair, to be elected, a candidate must receive five votes. So just a little bit of process. Any questions or comments about that one? Jump in because I can't see you. I don't think so. No one has their hand raised before. Uh, well, also uh, the committee should revisit the liaison appointments in January. Uh, so just a reminder that the committee may appoint individual committee members to serve as liaisons on specific matters. At the committee's direction, liaisons may collect information, solicit, solicit input from community stakeholders, evaluate community needs, draft recommendations for the committee, and engage in other tasks authorized by the committee. This comes from the bylaws. Uh, the liaison roles right now liaison roles right now. Uh, we have the emergency shelter and hygiene liaison, a community impact and accountability liaison, and there was a proposal to merge this particular function with the data officer role. So just noting that. Uh, a homeless prevention, diversion and prevention liaison, housing inventory and pipeline liaison, and the behavioral health liaison. Um, Just worth noting. Uh, and liaisons take center, center role in coordinating the drafting of spending plan recommendations in their designated area, meeting with departments, soliciting stakeholder input, collecting information, all those kinds of things. Um, the liaisons have also been consulting with departments uh, as they develop those spotlight presentations. Um, I'm 
aiming to be able to do a couple of those uh, in the first half of next year. Um, and those really highlight OCO program implementation and strategic vision. Um, and then other community engagement activities as needed. So pause for a second for questions, jump in or comments. Come on. I've been thinking a lot since your conversations at the November retreat about how to organize the and plan for the budget uh, process this year. Um, and I wanted to share a few things that we know um, and then look at some ideas of how we might move through that. Um, and uh, you can let me know. Uh, I have a few questions uh, that I hope you'll give input on. So we know right now the needs assessment is complete and that's meant uh, in the ordinance to be the foundation or at least one, the evidence base for a lot of the recommendations, part of the evidence base. Um, the committee has received the revenue picture. Uh, that happened this year in November. Last year it happened in January. So a little uh, ahead of last year's curve on that. Uh, the fund is in a period of weakness rather than strength with the, with the result that budget, the budgeting process is likely to feel a little more constrained. Uh, you know, there are more, the limits are a little tighter. Uh, we anticipate going into this, this cycle. The fund balance amounts um, will be available to us in mid-March, that mid-March forecast. Um, and this was the case last year. I don't know if you remember, but we waited uh, to really get like, what are the numbers that we're going to be working with? Um, those again, uh, we're looking to that mid-March forecast that's reported in the five-year plan update. Uh, the, so the final budget amounts, we're not going to know until mid-March. Um, and departments won't know either until nobody knows until mid-March. Um, and then departments, I learned from the mayor's office, will be submitting their budget proposals to the budget office in um, at the end of March, Friday, uh, March 31st, instead of the February deadline when departments submit proposals for all the other um, work uh, funding that they're that they're using. Um, so this was our spend our process last year, where um, the committee received the revenue forecast in January. February received that six month report uh, about spending capacity added um, liaison meetings with departments began in February um, and the committee held a stakeholder meeting. Uh, in March, the committee held two more stakeholder meetings, received the, the final budget numbers in the middle of the month and then received the department budget proposals at the very, very tail end of the month. Uh, in April, the liaisons proposed recommendations. There was a special meeting to workshop those recommendations. There was a town hall to get community feedback on the recommendations. And then the goal was to approve the recommendations during that last week in April. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it took longer than we planned. Uh, to get those recommendations approved. Uh, so the committee met again the first week in May to approve those recommendations to the mayor. Uh, yeah, that first week in May. Um, and I think I can share 
with you all sort of a, a general budget um, timeline that's available on sf.gov. Uh, but you know, one thing that I think is noticeable in our process last year um, was that you know it gets really tight in sort of March, April, May. Um, it got really uh, compacted, and there was a lot of activity. Um, and you know, the 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 deadline to finalize those recommendations to the mayor passed, and so possibly um, you know a window closed there. Um, and so I'm would like to think with you about ways to front load more of the work and make it um, a little more spread out over these first four months of, of 2023. Um, and then just a personal goal is that uh, the committee is does hit that deadline of finalizing recommendations to the mayor at the end of April. Um, and so one of the ways, since we know uh, a little bit, we know we have a sense of the budget picture uh, a little bit more and we have the needs assessment. I think Member Friedenbach mentioned this idea of like coming up with um, values or developing spending priorities um, to uh, begin those conversations now using the information and tools that we have um, to start uh, uh, engaging uh, with with the materials we have to develop those priorities and then to, you know, communicate with the departments and with community stakeholders about those priorities um, so that um, the committee is able to uh, maybe vote to approve those priorities or sort of, yeah, finalize them in March. Uh, and then April can more more focus on on the budget numbers once we once we have them. Um, so I've, I've spelled out in here very specifically sort of each month what we're looking at, uh, but I think what I'm interested in feedback from, from the committee about is this idea of coming up with those, like focusing on the priorities, the spending priorities and the, the interventions that um, the committee thinks are, are, have the greatest impact um, in the beginning of the month. Uh, I, I'd be interested in sort of your, uh, what you think about that idea um, and using that as a way of engaging around budget uh, without waiting until we have actual numbers in the middle of month, March. And then the other thing I'm interested in knowing more about is um, what kinds of community engagement people uh, would think is necessary uh, for this process uh, in the coming year. So. I, I'm not going to go through each month, kind of some ideas of, of what we're going to do. Um, so I hope I've given you enough to really be able to speak to those two things. Great. Thank you so much, Jesse. Um, yeah, that definitely gives us a lot to think about. Um, I see Member Friedenbach. Is that a new hand or old hand? Oh, you're muted. I'm assuming new. That was old. Sorry. I Yeah. But I think this is, well, of course I have things running through my head. Right. <laughs> so um, I think this was really thoughtful as much as we could do ahead of time. But are we, so we do this stuff ahead of time. Are we still going to be able to get, sorry, I kind of got lost there for a second, but we're still going to be able to do a delay 
uh, post yeah. the submission to the yeah so doing it like we did last year exactly. we do more stuff at a time okay okay <clears throat> and then yeah yeah I was just you know I was kind of thinking about like different priority stuff you know so there's a lot of different ways like I think you know yeah I think one decision is prioritizing roofs you know what I mean like that that you know <laughs> yeah you know, those right. strategies that you know that create roofs uh either in housing or you know whether we're talking about treatment or you know preventing people from losing their roof you know um but anyway um one way to think about it but but I think there's other stuff as well yeah and so starting those conversations I think agendizing them January February March I think one thing that came out in the debrief last year uh from last it's not even last year yet but last season's process was that you know things got really compacted in those last couple of weeks and I think neither the committee nor the departments felt like they had the time to like hear each other and adjust to each other because it was like the end of April <laughs> so um uh, this is, yeah, so really interested in thinking with you all, but uh, yeah, starting in January. Okay. Um, Just one, one other thing, I think, I mean, one of the things that happened last year when we were talking about not enough time that I'd like us is some of the new initiatives that came from community. Um, there was a disconnect between the vision and then what the RFP ended up looking like. And so um, I know in my conversations with um, Dr. Cunnins, for example, like just thinking about how to, um, how to, um, how to have more time really exploring the new initiatives. And so I think like by the time it kind of comes here, there's a whole bunch of thought and background and discussion and things that are happening in the community around like what, you know, a lot of work that's done and stuff like that. And then it's kind of like this little blip when it gets to the committee. So um, there's like um, a disconnect there. So I think um, there was a couple initiatives that that happened too. So I'd like us to just kind of really focus in on that um on the early things if we are if we we are able to do new initiatives i mean with the decreasing fund um this may be a mute point but um there may be things that we're like okay this just isn't working out um maybe we want to shift gears over to this other area you know and um which brings me to my second point is really um we, sh we should just be in kind of autopilot on our investment plan. It should be like a living thing that we're constantly like, look, are our strategies working? You know, I mean, just doing the prevention stuff, like really being able to get an idea of, we had all these ideas for prevention. Are the proportions right? Do we need to shift stuff around? Is there, you know, and so I think as much information we can get, I mean, it, we got this six month lag with the report that we got today, but as much like real time information that we can have um, about stuff that would be really helpful to us because, um, you know, we've got to learn and grow. 
we, you know, we, we, we have to be dynamic and just, you know, things, things shift and change and we learn lessons. And so we should be given the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, does, is there any other comments on, on this item, um, questions? Okay, seeing none. Um, I know we have quorum now because member Ledbetter is with us. <clears throat> um, so if we could maybe I think move maybe on. maybe member Reggio. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, just coming in at the last. So uh, I hesitated just because there's not a whole lot to say, except that I want to affirm it seems to me it makes sense. I think we did get so jammed at the end last year. We had uh, uh, insights coming to us at the 11th hour and uh, sometimes a disconnect uh, in that regard. So I think doing, particularly doing the uh, committee work early in terms of priority, meeting with the departments early is a good thing. So I would, uh, I just affirm uh, the intention. I don't know that, I think to move forward with this, I don't know that we need a resolution on that, but uh, I think if people are by consensus, perhaps uh, good with moving ahead, it makes sense to me. We can't wait to the end as we have in past years. So thank you, Jesse. Great, okay, thank you. Um, I think we can move on to item two and then on to item four since you have quorum now. Yeah, um, can we do roll call? Uh, oh, can I yes. move forward with um, public comment and then I'll do roll call? Does that work for everyone? Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415 655 access code 2488 then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you have two minutes. I'm checking the attendee list now for any public comments. And I do not see any public comment for this agenda item. At this time, I will move forward with roll call. Member Catalano? Yes. Member Cunningham-Denning? Absent. Vice Chair D'Antonio? Yes. Member Friedenbach? Yes. Officer Ledbetter? Yes. Member Reggio? I'm sorry, is this a roll call for present? Uh, this is a roll call, yes. Uh, yes, present. Present, great, thank Uh Chair Williams? Absent. At this time, you do have quorum? Great, thank you, Mary. Super, so do you want me to sort of summarize this? Yeah, could you please press yeah. I have a little bit of experience with it. Okay, so um, again, the resolution to allow teleconference meetings, uh, we continue to be in a state of emergency and meeting remotely, not yet authorized to meet in person. Um, you all have seen this resolution. It's been provided to the members and reviewed in preparation for this meeting. Um, Right, so there continues to be a state of emergency. There's a great benefit to physical distancing as a way of controlling spread of COVID-19. Um, and we are able to provide opportunity for the public to offer public comment in this virtual sitting setting. And so for this reason, 
the resolution states that the committee will meet exclusively by teleconferencing for at least the next 30 days and revisit this topic at the committee's next regular meeting. Um, as I've mentioned a couple of times, I do anticipate new guidance in the new year, so I'll just keep checking in with the mayor's office. I know people are eager to meet uh, to be together. Okay, great. Uh, we need to take a vote on this, right? Yeah, so there needs to be a motion and then we'll do public comment. Okay. Um, we'll motion to continue to allow teleconference meetings. So moved. Okay, let's open it up to public comment then. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2488 then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you have two minutes. I'm checking the attendee list now for any hand raised for public comment. And I do not see any for this agenda item. Okay, thank you, Mary. Take a vote then. Member Catalano? Yes. Member Cunningham Denning? Absent. Vice Chair D'Antonio? Yes. Member Friedenbach? Yes. Officer Ledbetter? Yes. Member Reggio? Yes. Chair Williams? Absent. Your motion has passed with five votes. Thank you. Uh, so we can move on to item number four now. Jesse, can you pull up the letter for us? Yes, sorry. I'm no worries. adding away over here to myself, apparently. Uh, yeah, let me get the letter. Um, so just uh, ahead of, of looking at the letter, um, just a reminder to everyone where this letter came from. The November retreat, the committee reviewed and gave final comments on the 2022 OCO Oversight Committee Needs Assessment. Um, and the committee agreed to write a letter, a cover letter to the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor. Uh, the letter reflects uh, committee discussion at the November retreat. It reflects members' priorities that were provided uh, to staff by email. And then uh, red line contributions from three members. Um, so I'm just going to pull this up. Can you see, can you see the letter? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, Great. You're just gonna have to scroll down as yeah, it's like you can't yeah. see it all. So I've I've incorporated all the redlining into one document uh, for discussion. Um, I don't think we need to make a motion for every <laughs> for everything. I think we just sort of come up with the letter um, and then and then vote to approve at the end. Would it be helpful if I if I read it? What's the best way to kind of make it big enough that everybody can see? Uh, so the letter, yes. Yes. Dear Mayor Breed and members of the Board of Supervisors, the Our City, Our Home Oversight Committee is pleased to provide the attached needs assessment in fulfillment of our responsibilities defined in the Business Tax and Regulations Code, Section 2810E2B. The report describes the characteristics and needs of people experiencing homelessness in San Francisco, examines the scale of resources available, and identifies root causes and pathways out of homelessness. So the next is the first uh, suggestion. The committee has worked diligently over the past two years 
conducting listening sessions with over 1,000 stakeholders, coordinating with multiple city departments, analyzing data and the service landscape in our city, the state of California, and our nation. We feel strongly that what we have highlighted here reflects the steps needed to move the needle on homelessness in San Francisco. The urgency of taking additional uh, intentional action steps is reflected on our streets every day. We look forward to continuing our thought partnership for the improved future of our beloved city, families, and children. Then the second suggestion. The OCOH committee strongly recommends the city prioritize the following actions based on the striking findings identified through the needs assessment. Shall I, do we want to discuss these two or shall I just keep reading the whole thing? Keep reading, I think. Yeah, I think okay. perfect. Uh, so the suggestion is to change this section from just racial equity to focus on policies and practices that achieve equitable outcomes based on race and ethnicity. Communities of color are overrepresented across all types of homelessness from unsheltered individuals to doubled up families. This flies in the face of San Francisco's progressive values and the data speak louder than words. Our analysis shows that racial and economic inequality are root causes of homelessness. Racism is a structural barrier to housing and economic security, one which demands urgent attention and collaboration across sectors and initiatives. The Our City, Our Home Oversight Committee shares interests and concerns with the San Francisco African American Reparations Advisory Committee and the Office of Racial Equity, as well as city departments and other public and private entities. We look forward to working with them to address racial disparities, particularly as they impact housing and homelessness. We will continue to focus on racial equity in our community engagement, oversight, and spending recommendations work. The city should ensure all policies and practices are creating measurable improvements for our unhoused black and brown neighbors. The next section, design our system to meet diverse needs. Our assessment shows that people experiencing homelessness have diverse needs. For some, permanent supportive housing is a necessary and life-saving intervention. Others thrive in affordable housing with less intensive services or with either long-term or temporary rental subsidies. What is the right balance of these resources? City departments are engaged in complex planning activities such as the system modeling and strategic planning taking place in the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, the bed optimization study and the implementation of mental health SF key performance indicators in the Department of Public Health, and the finalization of the housing element in the planning department. We look forward to continuing collaboration with city departments as they work to determine the numbers of shelter units, treatment beds, individual and family affordable housing units, PSH units, rental subsidies, and the scope of services that must be funded in order to meet our community's needs. The Oversight Committee's needs assessment contributes to these efforts by mapping the scale and scope of needs in the community. It is our hope that departments will use our findings in their planning efforts. Continue to fully fund programs, programs having an impact based on new investment. OCOH funding has already had significant impact, expanding shelter and crisis interventions by 15%, increasing PSH by 15%, 
making rapid rehousing available to 24% more households and adding 6% more treatment beds to the behavioral health system and adding nearly three times the number of subsidies for families in overcrowded living situations. Still, the current best estimate is that as many as 9,000 households would become homeless in San Francisco over the course of the year. Even as the city projects a decreased OCOH fund revenue in future years and economic uncertainty looms, we urge you to prioritize full and increased funding to address the crisis of homelessness in our city. Okay, the next section, promote effective coordination to overcome critical challenges. The high cost and protracted process of housing development in our community is a significant barrier to solving homelessness. Consequently, the committee applauds the city's determination as stated in the current draft housing element to continue and expand streamlined review of all permanently affordable housing. Reduce the cost of construction in regulatory review processes and rely on innovative materials to make more efficient use of public funds. We urge you to address these concerns through thoughtful political leadership. No single city department or community organization addresses the entire Our City, Our Home population, which includes sheltered and unsheltered people, as well as families living in single room occupancy hotels, victims of domestic violence, couch surfing youth, doubled up families, and households at imminent risk of losing their housing. Coordination between city departments and with nonprofit providers is essential to ending homelessness in San Francisco. Recent encouraging examples of coordinated effort include the citywide homeless strategic plan being spearheaded by the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing and efforts to, and it says right size contracting uh, with community based providers. And there was a suggestion to say, is this the work on pay? If so, let's say that. Um, just to note that uh, this kind of coordination and collaboration is essential and must be expanded. We ask for your leadership in promoting effective collaboration in the service of ending homelessness. On behalf of the OCOH committee and with gratitude and respect, we provide the needs assessment of homelessness and homeless populations in San Francisco. We've got our officers signing and reflecting the vote. Um, so returning to the top, I thought I would just keep this um, document live uh, and the committee can, we can maybe start again at the top. Thank you, Jesse. Um, I want to just open it up if folks um, have any like edits, comments, um, or if there's any part that you would like us to scroll to to mm -hmm. look at again. Um, either jump in or feel free to raise a hand. Oh, I see Member Catalano, your hand is raised. Thank you, Vice Chair yeah. Daniel. Um, yeah, I just wanted to clarify, I had a comment there about the right size contracting. I, I wasn't clear what that meant because that could be a lot of different things. So if we mean sort of making sure that our contracts are fully funding um, the services um, and the staff required, I want to just make sure that we're a little more clear about that. Um, or, if that or if that was meant to refer to something else, then um, make sure that we're, it's kind of cognizable by all what we're trying to say there. And I think, yes, I, um, 
I'm just trying to think if if pay is the only sort of dimension of that work or um, I, you know, I'm hearing you say that this needs to be a like there's a probably a more direct way to say this. Um, okay, can you show the whole sentence on that? Sorry, We're yeah. this and the screen's there. There we yeah. go. Thank you. Um, so it starts here. Recent and encouraging examples of coordinated effort include citywide home strategic plan being spearheaded by the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing and efforts to. May I jump in? Yes, please, Member Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it certainly referred that right sizing contracts refers to adequate staffing, to adequate pay for staff, so that the capacity, which was addressed uh, early in today's meeting and actually in every meeting we have, is there, so that the contracting partners have the resources needed in order to accomplish the things that we expect them to accomplish. I think it includes staffing, it includes uh, 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 equitable pay. It also includes, uh, for example, in the case of uh, supportive housing, sufficient funds for uh, maintenance so that the quality is there. And uh, so, so I think it's broad. To me, the, the, the term right-sizing contract is broad enough that it takes that into account. I certainly don't think there's a problem with uh, spelling that out a bit, and it would be spelled in terms, I think, of staffing, equity, and uh, operational uh, uh, costs. It would be an easy, easy fix on that if we wanted to be more specific. Vice Chair Antonio, can I jump in? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think spelling it out is great. I also, it, I think it would be good to put a line in there um, right before the coordination after we outline, because we say no single city department can address the entire population. Um, but I think we also need to say, nor can um, uh, our city, our home funds um, and homelessness in its entirety. Mm -hmm. Um, before, because then it kind of creates a segue to the coordination. Um, because I do think, I mean, that's that's been part of our issue is an over reliance on Prop C funds and not enough. Um, and does that go there? It goes effective coordination, or is it here with the decreased revenue we've done? Like this is what we've done. Uh. Does it go in the part about funding programs? You'd like to see it. I was, I was thinking down lower down because here. Okay. I was thinking like the coordination piece, part of that coordination piece is matching Prop C funds with general funds, state funds, federal funds and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I was thinking about it that way. Um, okay, so OCO funds are not? Um, are um, Maybe instead of are not, cannot, solve homelessness in its entirety. Something like that. And then we go on to coordination between. Jenny and committee members, hi everybody. I was thinking something similar and maybe even more explicitly calling out. And I was thinking in the, in the paragraph above of 
you know, we need to look at all funding sources across the city, you know, across the departments and, and not just OFO funds and maybe more specifically calling out the, not just that we can't do it, but use of general fund and other sources will be necessary to, to meet the needs outlined in the assessment. Yeah. Sorry, I heard up to will be necessary. To meet the needs of people experiencing homelessness outlined in the assessment or people experiencing homelessness in San Francisco. I like the outlined in the assessment because it connects it back to that. Uh, okay, did we, is this, is this one sentence enough here? Remember Friedenbacher, did you want to, I just want to make sure I got it right. So I'm not I, asking I think you. it's good with the sentence above that Julie put in and then, or um, member Ledbetter and then the other sentence okay. here um, that I put in. I think that kind of makes a complete statement and then re reinforces the point. So, I mean, I'm kind of a short sentence person sometimes, but. <laughs> there are a lot of long sentences in here, so we yes. can do with a few short ones. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I do think this paragraph kind of gets more at the department level and maybe something that just says, and we, because I think we're doing the, here's the problem, here's where we encourage a solution. So if there's a succinct way to say, and we encourage all departments to put forth as much funding as possible or evaluate whether their funding can be more, at, meet the needs of, I don't know, maybe it's best to just keep it short. <laughs> Clearly I can't do an extra sentence. We could do on that very last sentence, we ask for your leadership in promoting effective collaboration. It could be we ask for your leadership in identifying um, funding sources and promoting effective collaboration. That sounds great. Maybe identifying all possible funding sources. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to come back to this right? Oh, I'm sorry. That's what I was going to do too. Sorry, I'm just jumping in. I can't see everyone. Sorry. Um, I think there's a piece to the right sizing that is also about racial equity and ensuring equity of funding for organizations led by people of color. I don't know if we want to put that in there in addition to the things that Ken had listed out. That may be different than right sizing, however. It is. I think the way you laid it out before sort of took the right sizing term away, and it was about efforts to to do equitable contracting, including you know pay parity of pay, uh, staffing levels, and funding for organizations led by people of color, something like that. So, so, so uh, number led better if okay with you let me suggest a fix that addresses the uh, uh, right sizing issue and then if we can come back and you can adjust that further to uh, adjust the, the racial equity and i think so if we said and efforts to right size and efforts to right size uh contracts with community-based providers 
comma with attention, especially to staffing, pay equity, operations and maintenance. And uh, again, Member Ledbetter, that would not address the racial equity piece yet, which I think is important and should be brought in here as well. Uh, um, I, I don't have a fix on that quite yet. I think maybe it's just su supporting, recognizing that there has been focus on, on um, driving resources into communities of color and encouraging that work to move forward. I'm not feeling 100% of wordsmithing right now, so if anyone wants to help me out. Uh, how about, oh, go ahead. I just think the work started before us and I just wanna recognize that it's a continuation of work that didn't come directly out of our committee, but it's important. Uh, do you wanna see that in that paragraph or up here? On the racial equity. I think the racial equity section is really strong as it is, and this is about some of the nuts and bolts of contracting, which is where I've been most familiar with that, that work. I, I could be too narrow. What other committee members think? What do you think about adding a sentence after coordination between city departments and with nonprofit providers is essential to ending homelessness? Like as well, um, we like we encourage. Does that language get you where you? Or maybe, go? or maybe after that, because that's uh, recent encouraging examples of coordinated effort include the citywide plan, Portland homes and efforts to support organizations of color to provide equitable funding. I don't know what what is the extent of that work, if anyone else can speak to it more strongly. What about build capacity? Does that work? Likewise, we support efforts to build capacity. Sorry, I just noticed we're saying support in a couple of places. Yeah, sounds good. If I can, so two quick things. I'm not, I don't love build capacity because a lot of organizations led by people of color have capacity. So there's sort of a underinvestment, but also not assuming that they lack capacity. Um, but then this section is also about coordination and the prior section is about fully funding. And so I'm wondering if just the equitable resourcing piece actually goes in the fully funding section. It's not just fully funding everything, it's also doing that in an equitable manner. And this one's about um, coordination to sort of right size contracts. And so maybe that's where we're getting a little confused. Sounds good to me. Can I suggest that if the rest of this appears fairly much on order that we highlight the issue of uh, capacity and ask that uh, Jesse and our chair come up with the right place to put it in there and the right wording 
So uh, Chanel and Jesse, we, we could entrust to them to take the thought and make sure it gets into the letter. And rather than, rather than try to group edit it right now, which I think gets dicey. Getting close. Yeah. So in the fully funded programs, is that where we're thinking this belongs? Is um, uh, a statement about contracting with uh, organizations of color? Is that how? Is that the language? By BIPOC organizations. So my suggestion is that we ask you in. Uh, That's fine. Yeah. Chair Williams to figure out where it best belongs and how to word that part. I think the idea is clear to us. Yeah, but it, it's both uh, contracting and pay. It's the uh, equity in the contracts, right? Yeah. Because there's been some disparities in. <laughs> In, like, uh, in funding in funding yeah and i think this came up too um with like consultants we work with as well as proxy like what is that what do our consultants look like as well and consultant groups so um i think chanel and i have remember um or the chair and i have talked a lot about this issue so i feel like yeah we can definitely take this on and, and add some language around this thank um, you of course. Um, is there any comments on any other sections or edits that people had? I have a couple um, questions just on the titles, like that one right there, continue to fully fund programs having an impact based on new investment. I'm not sure I'm understanding what that's Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, when you read it, I'm like, oh, yeah. I can hop in because I think that was my suggested edit. I was trying to kind of speak to Jennifer's uh, member green box earlier point about like we're seeing success and we're funding these and we really now is not the time to step back from our investments um foco and beyond rather than just uh so I think the the text in here goes from like we're starting to see you know the the benefits of this fund um and we need to keep going in that direction but definitely happy to change the text <laughs> Mm -hmm. about like fund successful interventions or continue to fund successful interventions maybe successful our city our home interventions since if they're new and we they were based on well like, is that what we're saying like well, we, like if they cut if they if we get cuts and then there's something in there that we have to cut that we want the city to make up for in general fund got it uh, I think what we're what the big picture is here is that no matter what the fiscal landscape ahead of us, homelessness is the top priority in the city, and everyone's going to stick to it. Um, and what we're doing is working. So I think maybe it's. Well, no. Can we do the same thing here with, with uh, having Jesse and chairs sorted out? 
Uh, I think everyone agrees on the intent of the paragraph. I don't want to speak for everyone, but just making Yeah, why don't you guys highlight the titles, like if there's other titles as well that you feel like need some adjustment. Um, My suggestion didn't work. What was it again, Jenny? Can you give it to us? <laughs> Continue to fund successful interventions. I think it goes without saying yeah, we're talking I about think that's SOCO. Cool. Yeah. And then we kind of get down into what we mean by that in the paragraph. So, right. And then I think there's another title that was a little unclear to me. What's below the this one? This one, promote effective coordination. I think the next one. Sorry. That was last. Design our system to meet diverse needs. Focus on policies and practices that achieve equitable outcomes based on race and ethnicity. I did have a comment um, or some thoughts on the equity piece. Um, I just don't like that we're starting off the sentence with communities of color are overrepresented. I agree with that statement. I do feel like we need to pull out like black versus communities of color, like black San Franciscans are, you know, and I don't know if we even want stats there, right? Like black San Franciscans make up 3% of the population, but 40% of the homeless population, like that's massively overrepresented. I feel like that's pretty powerful. Um, and I get that there's other communities of color that are also represented, but I do feel like we need to pull out, especially seeing the data that we just saw so I'm good with that. We could we could do, yeah, Black San Franciscans, I like that. I mean, I just want to note that we did have a doubling of Latinx folks experiencing homelessness in the pit. So maybe we could say, I mean, we could either Black San Franciscans. Uh, Latinx make up more of our, like, they are, they do make up the same, but overrepresent, but Black San Franciscans are more overrepresented considering the, the percentage of San Franciscan, Black San Franciscans in San Francisco. Yeah, well, I'm I'm cool with just keeping it Black San Franciscans. I was going to say Black San Franciscans and other people of color. I'm good with another people of color. That's kind of what my original, but I think we need to pull out Black. Wait, yeah. you can't just say communities of color to represent yeah. Black. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. The, yeah, I mean, one thing to, I was, uh, when I wrote this sentence, I was trying to capture the full OCO population, uh, right, which the racial distribution is sort of, are slightly different, right? When you look at the SRO families versus really homeless. So anyway, this works. We just need a space there. Yeah, there we go. Anything else here? And can we say actually instead of and other people of color and other communities of color? Any other changes? Am I still I scrolling one. through it one more time? And my one question is to um, Jesse, if we vote on this today, but we make, are, are we voting on it? No, 
basically we're stating we're voting on it, but there will be some changes that happen after the meeting. Yeah, there will be one additional change, which is the titles and the, that one oh. sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how slowly to scroll. for me you can speed up the time okay <laughs> thank you Still. And I apologize, I didn't realize you needed my signature, so I will get that to you right away. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there any other comments, edits? Should we open it up to public comment? Um, Let's do that. Okay, I don't see anybody else on the committee. So yeah, I think we can open it up to public comment, Mary. Thank you. Great. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2488 then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you have two minutes. I'm checking the attendee list now and I do not see any public comment for this agenda item. Okay, great. So I think we can take a vote now on the letter um, with just, actually, I think we finalized all the titles. So really the only other edit is that sentence that we're going to be adding in, I believe. Um, I do we need to make we a, need motion? a motion? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I'll move um, to approve the letter with uh, one sentence that we'll be changing um, around. Uh, I, do I have to be specific about what's going to change or like in my motion? Yes. Okay. Um, with a specific change around um, equity in contracting. People feel good about that? Okay. I'll second that. Member Friedenbach. Great. I will call row member Catalano. Yes. Member Cunningham Denning. Absent. Vice Chair D'Antonio. Uh, yes. Member Friedenbach? Yes. Officer Ledbetter? Yes. Member Reggio? Yes. Chair Williams? Absent? We have five, so the motion has passed. Okay, great. Thank you. So I think um, the next item is just like future agenda items. So if anyone has any future agenda items, feel free to just shout them out. No need to raise your hand. Um, just seeing that we only have one minute left. Anyone? I would say a report from some department, possibly from Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, highlighting what it sees as uh, causing uh, delays and uh, increased cost in the development of housing. Uh, I think this is the, uh, an issue we come back to over and over. 
I don't know if MoCD is the right place to hear, but we need input from somewhere that spells out uh, how this might, this barrier to solving homelessness might uh, be addressed. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I think for me, again, just love, would love for the Housing Authority to come, or if MOHCD is doing this presentation, seeing that they've provided a lot of like audits on. <laughs> The Housing Authority, if they can give us any type of presentation. Um, I think a lot of the RAD units, they're um, helping to oversee. So they do have a lot of that information, a lot of that data. Um, so yeah, those two items. I think that we can motion, all motion to like adjourn the meeting. There's no other comments. I will go ahead and take public comment for item oh, number sorry. six. Sorry. Yeah, yes. no worries. Um, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415 Zero one access code two four eight eight zero six eight four nine nine two then pound and then pound again if you haven't already done so please dial star three to line up to speak a system probably indicate you have raised your hand please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments please note that you have two minutes I'm checking today list now for any hand raised and I do not see any so there's no public comment on this agenda item okay thank you Mary so I'll motion to end the meeting. Um, oh, I'll second. <laughs> okay. Well. Great. I will go ahead and call the roll. Member Catalano? Yes. Member Cunningham Denny? Absent Vice Chair D'Antonio? Yes. Member Freenabot? Yes. Officer Ledbetter? Yes. Member Reggio? Yes. Chair Williams? Absent. So that's five. Motion has passed. Great. Thanks, everyone. everyone. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Holiday. Thank you. See everyone in 2023. Great. And just to note the time.